Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 112. Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters Podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you haven't yet joined our somewhat private Facebook group, go check out medicalschoolhq.net slash group and join some of the coolest kids on the block at the Medical School Headquarters Hangout on Facebook. Allison is back with me. I am. Welcome. Thanks. It feels weird for you to welcome me to... It's kind of my show, too. Sure. <laughs> All right. I'm just the lowly little co-host. That comes you, you are our token co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Although, like, you've been on a lot. Yeah, well, you know. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's a great thing. I hope it's for a good thing for all you out there. I don't know. <laughs> if you're listening and you I, like I love, Allison, come let us know. Medicalschoolhq.net slash 112. Love it. Love it. I do. All right. This week, we're going to talk about an article on Kevin MD that we had kind of sidelined a while ago. We saw this article and I put it in my kind of to-do list and I was looking at it today and rereading it and I said, you know what, let's talk about this one today. And so I didn't go in depth rereading this because I wanted to kind of go live as we talk about it because as I started reading it, some of the key points may or may not bring up some controversy and we may or may not have some arguments with some of his points. So it's going to be interesting. And here's another key point. While this is not directly pre-med, how to get into medical school, how to ace your classes and do well writing your letters of rec, when you as a pre-med student are out visiting these websites and seeing these articles, I think when we talk about them, it is directly related to you. Because if you read this and go, well, if this is what medicine is like, then I don't want to be part of it, then that's a bad thing. And so hopefully with Allison and myself talking about this and agreeing with some of it and disagreeing with some of it, then it gives you a better picture maybe than just one person's voice. Yeah. Hopefully it gives you sort of an informed picture, at least from the perspective of two practicing physicians. Yeah. All right. So the title of the article 
is there was a time when doctors were doctors, and that's on Kevin MD's site. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Again, you can get it at medicalschoolhq.net slash 112. And we'll go down the list. And the way it's written, he starts off kind of each paragraph, there was a time when, there was a time when. And so we're going to go one by one and, and talk about each one of these. And so the first one here, it talks about... There was a time when doctors were doctors, the title of his article, about young men and women sacrificing their time to go through medical school and learn to be practitioners and not to become typists, as he calls them, or paper pushers or data entry clerks, or to have hospitals, insurance companies, and the federal government dictate to us how we practice medicine. What do you think about that initial kind of jab? Yeah, it's very loaded. Well, for starters, I think that it remains a time when young men and women, and sometimes older men and women, because... All you non-traditionals out there. Yeah, and not that you guys are old, but that there's a a bigger age range than the the classical age that doctors used to be or medical students used to be when they started. So there's a wider range, and he says the best years of their youth. Well, I mean... You do sacrifice some good years, but I don't know. I I have a hard time with that statement anyway, because it's a journey and anything that's worth doing, there's no hard work. Yeah, it's not a sacrifice. It's part of, it's a rite of passage as part of what you do. So, I mean, just to say, I think that this physician is pretty disillusioned and pretty angry and frustrated. And so this is sort of framing his kind of entire point of view but you can already tell from the get-go that he's pretty mad. But as for the other part of it, so to become typists, paper pushers, data entry clerks, well, there's a lot of administrative work in what we do. And does that mean that we're spending 60 or 70 or 80% of our day doing it? I don't. I don't think so. But I'm sure there, depending on how well run the practice is where you work or the hospital is that you work in, that can vary. And so that's, you know, blanket statements are always dangerous in my mind. And I certainly, as a physician, do not feel that I am a typist, paper pusher, data entry clerk, or any of the above. (laughs) Yeah. But then there's also that survey or study, if you want to call it, at Johns Hopkins about interns and how much time they actually spend with patients. But I think that's a totally different scenario because you're in a training institution you're an intern, your job is to run around and see the patients and input the data and talk to the social workers and learn from your attendings and go to grand rounds. And so there's not a ton of patient interaction when you're in that type of setting. Yeah, there should be more and it's backwards. And But it's the way that things have become. It's the way that the training structure has sort of become the the lowly man or woman on the totem pole ends up doing a lot of the sort of data entry. And if you look at like a law firm or business, or I mean, if you look at any kind of entry level position, a lot of it sometimes may entail kind of crappy work that you aren't fond of. So there is this concept of sort of paying your dues and going and doing the work that is not the most fun and rewarding, but it's all part of the sort of master goal of how you grow as a physician and how you learn this craft. I do think, however, I mean, there absolutely is a growing problem more and more with 
how much focus, even in practice, when you're out in practice, how much focus is put on making sure that charts look pretty. As far as coding? As far, well, as far as making sure that everything has been attended to properly and documented properly. So it used to be, okay, and I still see this, you know, in practice, there are physicians who still write on paper and then Mm -hmm. the notes are scanned into the, the electronic record. It used to be, you know, you jot down a note and I mean, I do this now. You're sitting with a patient, you're writing, you're taking notes as they're talking to you, but you're, you know, you're facing them person to person. And some physicians still do that as opposed to typing as, as you see someone, which I hate. I, I don't like that. I really don't care for it because you feel like you're sort of talking through the computer. Yeah. But anyhow, so there are physicians out there who still practice that way and are still writing. Nowadays, the problem is that everything is becoming about the electronic medical record. And I do think that that's a problem with our practice. One of my good friends actually just wrote a, uh, who's an internal medicine resident, he just wrote, we're going to have him on the show soon too, which is exciting. He just wrote a piece all about his frustration with how much time is spent on the computer and how his thought process changes and how it changes him as a physician in the making or physician you know, in the in the growing. So it's a problem. So I, I think the, just that one paragraph, which is literally like what, it's two sentences. There's a ton that you can take away from it. And I think some of it is has some truth and some of it is really overstating. And he's just angry. I mean, wow. <laughs> and it's followed up with the next paragraph saying, there was a time when doctors were trusted. Now, that to me, sounds like somebody who has been bitten either by a lawsuit or by something because he goes on saying that we were not guilty until proven otherwise as viewed by bloodthirsty bounty hunters like the wild dogs of the recovery audit contractor. So it sounds like he got bit by some sort of coding issue. Perhaps. And that's one of the things that they also don't teach you when you're in training. I mean, there is such a thing called Medicare fraud. And there are people out there, unfortunately, healthcare practitioners who are trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the IRS and the federal government, and they may be coding for things or coding for time spent with patients, coding for disease processes that they may or may, or may not have. And they are then trying to get money from the insurance company and the patient in terms of reimbursement for those services. And what can happen is that people can get audited. And so Medicare can come in and say, okay, well, I'm going to pull these 10 charts and actually, or 100 charts and actually look and see if what you documented is actually what, what happened. You, what you're billing and for. And what you're billing for. And if, I don't know if you remember, Ryan, I'm sure you do. There was a few months, well, maybe it was years now. It's kind of all blurs together. But there, at some point recently, there were a few physicians, I think in the state of Florida. Florida, the, it, op- yeah, the ophthalmologist. Millions that, of dollars. million dollars, I think. He's now being audited. They're going back and looking at that. Right. So, I mean, he's already in trouble. He's going to be in more trouble. (laughs) The the next closest person to him for Medicare billing was like half or something. Yeah. So, and you think, you know, out there as a pre-med, you're working so hard right now to try to get into medical school and to begin your journey as a physician and as a a medical student and physician. And how on earth can you imagine then years later actually trying to defraud the government from this sacred, beautiful craft that we do and that we are so privileged to be able to partake in and practice? I don't know. I mean, I don't practice Medicare fraud, so I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't tell you how some physicians end up there, but it's sad. And you wonder, yes, the guy writing this article. There are other, though, physicians who get 
just audited and maybe get complained about. The sad truth is that you can get a complaint filed against you about anything. I have friends who've had lawsuits against them and complaints against them. And a physician can literally have a complaint lodged against them with you know, the board of medicine, whatever state you are about that maybe you charge too much. So people can complain. And actually he goes on to talk about this later, I think, but um, you can get audited. You can get, people can complain about you. But again, if you think about every profession out there, if you're a plumber, if you're a carpenter, if you're on Angie's list, I mean, if you're a lawyer, a teacher, people can complain and audit you and try to go after you for what they may or may not think you were doing right or wrong. Anytime we live in that kind of society. So Suck it up, cupcake. (laughs) Wow. All right. Now we know. The next one is is a hard one for me to read because it it just, it annoys me. There's a book, what is it called? Doctored? Yes. That kind of, I started reading it and we were going to talk about it, but we wanted to read the whole thing before we... We talked about it here on the podcast, but it started off and the, the summary that we read s- sounded very similar to this next line. It says, there was a time when doctor's orders were meant to be orders. There was a time when our orders were not subject to endless scrutiny and nonsensical denials by HMOs, pharmacists, hospital formularies, insurance companies, and their federal government. And that to me just sounds like somebody who thinks I have MD after my name Therefore, you must do what I say. Yep. And the title, the, the letters after your name, do not give you any power at all. Your judgment, your clinical judgment, your ability to follow the best practice guidelines, what's in the best interest of the patient based on the best evidence, is what goes. Not just because you're an MD and do what I say. Absolutely. So PE does equal MD. If you pass and you get through medical school and and you become a physician, that doesn't just mean that you can fly by the seat of your pants through the rest of your career and just dictate to other people what they're supposed to do and they'll listen to you and, and you just sit back and sort of, it doesn't work that way. It's like anything, you have to work at it and you can't, I agree with you, it turns my stomach to read, you get the sense that this physician wants to have all the accolades and the prestige and have people, you know, kowtowing at his feet. Yes, doctor. Um, yes, doctor. Yeah. And it's sad. And, you know, he goes on then in the next paragraph or next line there to talk about how there was a time when doctors' opinions were valued and recommendations were followed and we weren't routinely challenged by our patients and families and neighbors and case managers and hospital administrations. So some of what he's Guess saying- Guess what? There was a time when there wasn't Google. Yeah, right. WebMD. Exactly. Some of what he's saying, yes, am I frustrated when I have to call a uh, physician in a random state who may be practicing um, with maybe the same guidelines, but different practice parameters than I am, and I have to explain why I believe that this patient needs a particular study or why the insurance company should pay for a particular drug and the one that I wrote a prescription for, not the generic that's a lot cheaper, but is not going to work well or is not appropriate for that patient it's important to use your clinical judgment. And so, yes, it's frustrating when other people don't really get where you're coming from and you have to go and explain it and take time out of your day to do that. But all of the other stuff or all the other you know pieces there that he mentioned. So we should be challenged by our patients. We should be challenged by their families and the case managers, maybe not their neighbors. I don't know. Hospital administrators, 
it's important, right? So if, if the time when you think you know everything is the time when you know nothing, that's a quote that you've said in the past. And I, I know it's not your quote, it's you know, someone else's quote. But the point is that it's important to always be challenging yourself and have other people challenging you to make sure that you're doing what you need to be from a clinical standpoint. Again, it can feel after a while as a physician that you're being challenged constantly because you have so many things that you need to be doing and people are maybe at you to make sure that you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's, that you're doing all of these things correctly. But in terms of patients challenging you, I mean, yeah, the days of paternalistic medicine where you said, this is what you're going to do. This is what you have. This is what you have to do. And that's that. Those days are long over and rightly so, in my opinion. I had a boss once who said, I want you to ask me questions. I want you to ask me why we're doing what I've decided to do. He said, if I can't come up with a reason why, then it's probably the wrong decision. I'm wondering which boss that was. That's very smart. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's good. It so, is. That's part of why we practice medicine as a team too. Yeah. bounce ideas off each other, come to the, you know, have the most brains possible, get to the right conclusion. So the challenge for you as you move forward, and we talked about this before with communication a couple episodes ago and, and how communication difficulties are one of the leading issues for bad outcomes for morbidity, mortality. Make it a game that if your patients are asking you why after you talk to them, then you're probably not explaining it properly to them or the best way that you can. So take note and go, you know what? That patient asked me why I, after I explained the blood pressure medications. Next time when I have that same conversation, I'll incorporate the why that they asked me into my conversation and hopefully they won't have any questions. But they probably will. And then you'll change what you say to the next person and you'll change what you say to the next person. So it's not a personal attack on you. It's absolutely true. And I remember, too, if you think about, you know, your nurses and other healthcare practitioners and case managers and people challenging you and, and your thought process. I remember when I was a med student and very early on in my career, I when I was in training, I thought, well, gosh, this is so frustrating. You know, this nurse is challenging this about what I'm saying and this nurse is challenging this and I feel like people are ganging up on me and blah, blah, blah. It's good. And I realized as I grew, as I trained, that it's so important to take that perspective. They've often been doing this a long, much longer time than you have. They know the patient well. They have a lot of different perspective and they are looking at it from you know, from a way that you can't because you don't have the same knowledge and the same, you know, for example, let me give you an example to make this more tangible. So a case manager will know so many things about the insurance companies and about a patient's uh, demographics and home situation and be able to put together where can that patient go when they get discharged in a way that you would have no idea. You would not be able to figure that out because you just don't know all the different variables that go into that. You're too busy working up their COPD exacerbation or figuring out why they're having heart failure. So it's important to not take these, uh, you know, these sort of, uh, I don't want to say attacks, but, you know, that's the way this author is framing it, but more don't take all this personally. They're not challenges against you personally. They're trying to do what's in the best interest of the patient. And they're not, you know, don't look at it as as a bad challenge. They're trying to, everybody has the same goal, right? It's just a matter of, pooling our resources and having everybody help each other to get to 
you know, the finish line and to, I'm sorry, it sounds so cliche, but to really help the patient. So it's, um, I think that's part of honestly, this physician's problem is that he's taking everything personally and he's feeling like, Hey, everybody's supposed to be kowtowing to me and listening to me. And, and I don't want to listen to anybody else. I just want to do my job and make my money and go home. And, and it's just in my, it's just not the right attitude. Yeah. If you go into medicine thinking that you're going to be this, you know, queen of the village or king of the village and, and you don't have to sort of have, you know, anybody um, give you any challenges about your thoughts or your decision making. That's it's not going to be like that. So don't disillusion yourself from the get go when, you know, you get out and it's not like that in the real world. The next line I, I kind of agree with, it talks about there was a time when doctors actually wrote orders instead of going through the 10 steps and 22 keystrokes to submit an order through an EHR, through the electronic health record system. And I agree with that. Most of the EHRs out there are pretty terrible and it takes way too much extra work to get an order. That is true. And you have to, when you go out into practice and training and everything, you have to learn all these different EHRs because unless you stay at the same medical center for the entirety of your career, you're inevitably going to have to learn different electronic medical records. Even if you stay in one place, they're switching. That's true. Exactly. New stuff comes out. New things come out. The only system in the United States of America that has figured out how to do this correctly is the VA. And that is because they have the same system everywhere you go. So when you go to a VA in Bedford, Massachusetts, it's the same thing if you go to Connecticut or Texas or, you know, Carolina, California or wherever you go. Everybody else, it's all different. And so you have to be adaptable and be able to learn. And yes, most of them are really crappy and it's annoying and arduous. And a lot of it has to do with making sure that there aren't errors, there are checks and balances. Your orders are being checked so that you don't prescribe magnesium when you meant to prescribe, I don't know, metoprolol, whatever it is. But it's frustrating. It does cut down on errors, though, hopefully. It does. I hope so, yeah. Because most doctors, you can't read their handwriting. Well, right. So then you think, (laughs) well, okay, written orders were great for the person writing them, but what about the 10 people? I still remember in medical school, they all of the notes at that time at the where we were training for that rotation, they were all written. Everything was written in the chart. And one of our jobs as third-year med students was to try to go through the consult notes from all the different services that had been consulted for a particular patient and try to decrypt the handwriting of the various consultants. It was funny. It was like a game. We were trying to figure out what the hell they were trying to say or what they were saying. We just could not interpret. So there is a reason that you know computers are in existence after all. Yes. It says that... So... I'm going to skip one of them because we kind of already talked about it. But the one after it says there was a time when doctors were welcomed by the hospitals and the communities they served. There was a time when hospitals assigned more parking spaces to doctors than to their own administrators. And this kind of goes back to I'm a doctor. I have an MD after my name. I am king of the hill. I'm king of the hill. And not all physicians are like this. And I don't know what if he's like this or if he's not like this we we don't know the guy that wrote this so we're not judging we're just we're reading and interpreting what was written but it sounds like there's a lot of entitlement there absolutely that's exactly the word that i was thinking you know there is a growing sentiment about physicians feeling frustrated with the fact that a lot of the hospital administrators and ceos and presidents are making 
more money than them and maybe have a lot more control than they do. And there was a recent article a few months back looking at actually how much money some of these folks make compared to the average internal medicine physician or the average cardiologist or whatever it may be. And yeah, some of these guys are making big, big bucks. And guess what? Their responsibility is a lot more than one physician. And we had this conversation a while back because I remember talking to you about this article and thinking, God, it is kind of insane how much money some of these people make. And that's what you said. It's look, you have to look at the bigger picture about how much responsibility these people have. Now we could argue from, you know, in for hours or whatever it may be about whether it's, it's correct to have medicine within the confines of a capitalist society and how can these big these CEOs make so much money while you know people on Wall Street make so much money that's a conversation for another day but the point going back to what you said Ryan I agree with you it's not the point of going to medical school and the point of becoming a physician is not so that you have the best parking space when you go to work every day that's not what it's about right if you're thinking that it's about dollar signs and and the best parking spaces and people you know sort of just moving out of your way and letting you parade around the hospital with all of your your entourage behind you, it's you're in the wrong career. I mean, it's not about that. You you'd probably do better trying to make your way on the voice and become a rock star or something. It's not about that, right? It's about patient care. It's about working with a team to better the lives of your patients. And maybe you have to park in the sub basement level. Right? No. no. Maybe in the cafeteria, you don't have a special spot just re- reserved for you. It doesn't matter. It's not about that. So you have to wonder why this guy is so concerned about that kind of a thing. Yeah. The next one on here says there was a time when doctors spent more time thinking about patient care than pushing papers. And that's kind of scary because I think about patient care way more than pushing papers. I do too. And the one right above it where he's saying that doctors don't use their brains at work anymore. I mean, yeah. I use my brain every day. I can tell you, you know, this week alone so far in these last two days, I've had some very interesting patients, you know, that really challenged my thought process. And, you know, they were both days really, really interesting. And I think I spent a little bit of time doing the orders on paper that I needed to afterwards. And I spent some time dictating and finalizing my notes and blah, blah, blah. But what I took away from these two days was, man, those were really interesting patients. And I I wanted to go read more and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, again, you wonder why is he, is he just so angry that he's sort of finding evidence everywhere he can about what's wrong with the system and, and kind of losing touch with how he's actually spending his day. And if he really is spending his day pushing paper like that, it's process improvement. Yeah, exactly. That's, Where that's are you practicing? That's the first thing that popped into my mind. Yeah, like what is the nature of your practice? Why is it? He's a cardiologist in California. Okay, well, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> it's California. Nobody knows. <laughs> well, California has some great care. I mean, Kaiser's out there and they have excellent care in a lot of places. But, you know, that's another thing. So in the United States, practice of medicine is so different from one state to another, from one practice to, you know, to another, even within the same state. So you can't make these blanket statements. You get yourself into so much trouble. Yeah. So when I read something like that, it's just, and I've gotten into these situations where you get so frustrated about something, but then you take a step back and you go, why am I frustrated about this? And what can I do to fix it? Can we streamline a process somewhere? Can a medical assistant do some of this paperwork? Can we fill out some of the paperwork before? Does the paperwork even need to be filled out? A lot of the stuff is just so redundant and a waste that 
you figure out better ways to do things. And so if you're anywhere along the lines, if you're getting frustrated with studying for your biochem test in, as an undergrad, or you're getting frustrated studying for anatomy as a, as a medical student, or on down the line, if you're getting frustrated to a point where you're just so mad, step back and go, what's making me mad about this and how can I improve it? Right. And get back to why did I start doing this in the first place, right? The next one, the big one that he talks about has to do with money. And I'm not a fan of this one either. He says there was a time when patients actually paid their bills. There was a time when the words copay, deductible, and coinsurance meant what they truly meant. Not some random numbers subject to inventive negotiation and crafty blackmail tactics by some patients. I mean, again, you wonder, he's a cardiologist. I'm sorry, but he can't be that bad off, right? You can't really judge by the title. I mean, yes, the average cardiologist makes a significant amount of money. Okay, but if, if he's if pushing, you have a practice that's run poorly, that has right, I was poor just going to say maybe that, he's pushing paper all day, and so he's not able to see patients. Maybe he's not doing procedures. Who knows what the deal is? And again, not trying to judge this physician personally, not at all. But I just disagree. I'm sure, with, there are many physicians out there that feel the same way. I'm just disagreeing with his sentiment. And look, you know, if you are in a solo practice and you are trying to pay your rent and you need to pay your staff. And you're really concerned about making sure that all of your bills come in or bills go out and the reimbursements come in from the insurance companies. And yes, it can be frustrating that maybe a patient doesn't pay their copay. But I think this statement, I mean, he, you get the sense that he feels like he's being completely screwed by the system and that uh, patients are almost out to get him or out to screw him over. I mean, that's the sentiment that comes across there. And again, They talk about this in training programs. If you get to a point where you're actually resenting your patients and you're resenting the time that you're spending with them, even if it's only 12% of your day, and you're angry or, you know, hateful or whatever it may be, you need to take a break and step back because that's a pathway to darkness, to, you know, physician suicide is something we've talked about before. You can get so lost in the upset about what is not working that you completely lose sight of why you started this whole thing in the first place. And I'm glad I didn't read all of this ahead of time because a lot of what we've been saying kind of pops out at the end here. And he talks about the last two paragraphs. There was a time when doctors were judged by their credentials and by their professional peers. And there was a time when the young men and women went to medical school because having MD quote MD behind our names was the most honorable and respectable thing to do. And so this, we said at the beginning, there's something that for this specific physician, having that MD or DO gave him the entitlement, and now he is frustrated with the system because that entitlement's not there, and it shouldn't be there. And he says just before that, there was a time when our diploma meant more than the reviews on online social media intended for rating restaurants, plumbers, and prostitutes. That is just so offensive. I mean, that, oh, it sickens me. It's offensive, right? Not only is he saying that he's better than you know people who work in restaurants, he's better than plumbers. He's bringing up prostitutes. I mean, it's just offensive. Do I like the fact that somebody can go on to Yelp or onto a an online site and rate how their encounter was with me as a physician? It's unnerving. It makes me concerned. It makes me anxious. I'm just being honest. I don't like it. I don't really care for it because my feeling is the interaction, the encounter between a patient and a physician is a confidential thing. 
There are so many factors that go into it. And for a patient to go onto a site and basically say, well, I think this doctor, you know, Dr. Gray is a horrible physician because she didn't prescribe the medication I wanted or X, Y, or Z. There are so many, I mean, there was just a recent article on Kevin MD, a great article about how it's really difficult, or actually, I don't think it was Kevin MD, I think it was the Times, about how it's very difficult sometimes to tell a patient what they don't want to hear and how- Tell them no. Yes, and how that may really turn them against you in some ways, but you have to do what you were trained to do and and treat people properly. So I just take such issue with him, you know, then going on and saying, well, I mean, okay, so I'm telling you how I feel. I'm, I don't like that. But that said, it doesn't mean that he should bring up the, you know, people who work in restaurants and plumbers and say, well, we're so much better than all these people and, and yeah. they shouldn't be able to be, you know, rated. Yeah. Uh, we should he's, be able to be rated the way they are. He's basically saying people, customers, our patients are our customers, right? Mm-hmm. So customers shouldn't be able to judge us, but it's okay to judge a restaurant and yeah, a exactly. And how dare he sort of, you know, stay that he's so much better than all these other people. I tell you, Ryan, I mean, I really stand by this very firmly. When I walk through the doors of any medical institution, whether it's my office or a hospital or whatever, I try to treat the people who work there with the same respect, no matter what they do. If they are environmental services, meaning that you know they clean patients' rooms, maybe it's the president of the hospital, maybe it's the nurse or a care coordinator, whatever it may be, it does not serve you as a physician. It will never serve you to, to walk around, parade around and think that you are better than people around you. It's not the point. All it will do is just alienate people around you and it will result in poor patient care. So and, if, and poor job satisfaction, as yeah, this absolutely. article obviously shows. So if you are out there listening, and I doubt you are if, if you're you know this cynical already, but if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I'm going to go to medical school because... I want everybody to look at me and have so much respect for me. Yes. And to think that I am the best and that I, you know, maybe I was bullied or picked on and, and, and I want now to be the best of the best. And, and I absolutely, I should pause and say, I don't mean any offense to people who have been bullied. It's a horrible, horrible thing and something that we're trying to correct in our society. But I just mean, if you're trying to sort of show people, well, I'm the best and I've been wronged, so I'm going to be better than everybody. And I, and everybody's going to listen to me and do what I say. It's just, it's not like that. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't. You should want to be respected, but not because of the initials after your name. You should be respected for the way that you treat the, your coworkers, your team members, and your patients, and your patients' family members, and your patients' neighbors, and whoever else he mentions at the beginning of the article. So, wow. That's a good one. Well, it's hard. I mean, it's the way I look at this is, a physician who writes something or who who speaks, we are all ambassadors of our profession. And so for someone to, to go out there, it, there, look, I believe very strongly in freedom of speech. It's incredibly important that we all are able to speak our minds and talk about things. That's how things get better and things move forward. And that said, I feel that I have freedom of speech to disagree with him. And, oh, yeah. you know, it's... Don't, um, don't feel bad for disagreeing. I don't feel bad, but I just, I think that we need to be good ambassadors. Yeah. I think that we need to be respectful of our profession and not be hateful and angry and just uh, discouraging, honestly, to the yeah. next generation of physicians. That's another biggie here. It's the fact that all of you and out there- that's why we're talking about it. Exactly. All of you out there are working so hard to move forward in your careers, to start medical school, to go through your training, to become the best physicians that you can be. 
And my fear is that that all of these physicians growing, you know, out there who are growing more and more disillusioned are going to make you cynical and make you not want to continue on this path. And it's that would just be the biggest shame of all. Yeah. It's funny, something popped into my head, this whole kind of Yelpish scenario where patients can go rank you on a website. Think of IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, and how when I know you and I, when we want to know if we want to watch a movie, this is the first place we go. What does IMDb say? IMDb is a gives you a number from thousands of people's reviews, right? Reviews from people like you and I. I wonder when IMDb first came out, what James Cameron or these other big shot movie directors and producers thought of, why is this lay person who doesn't know anything about making movies, why are they going onto this website and ranking my movie? It should be the peers that rank my movie. Absolutely. And I'm sure if you own a small business out there too, I mean, it must be very scary to have somebody go on to Yelp and write a really, really nasty review or, or, I mean, there, sometimes it's hilarious. There was that person a while back who wrote that review about a restaurant and that the owner actually wrote back and, and really showed the person up. It was really funny. Yeah. But the point is, nobody likes to be called out and to be told that they're doing a bad job so publicly. But yes, physicians have been protected from sort of public scrutiny in a sense for a long time. And maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that, that patients can go on there and say how they feel. The key then is if is to respond appropriately. And, and if somebody is really calling you out, maybe take a step back and say, maybe yeah. I am doing something that's turning people off or that's making them run for the hills. <laughs> there you go. That's the take home. Yeah. I love it. All right, Allison, thank you again for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I feel like I was very heated tonight. <laughs> that was a good one. I like it. How did you like it? If you liked what we were talking about, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 112 and continue the conversation in the comment section below all of the, the words and stuff on the paper, on the page. So I hope you got a ton of great information out of today's podcast. I hope you go to medicalschoolhq.net slash group and join our awesome medical school headquarters hangout Facebook group. And... As always, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters.